the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real, man. Love is... is love. Too weak a word. Stay Welcome to the next best picture podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 167 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording is 9.09 a.m. on November 10th, 2019. Joining me today, I have Dan Bear. Good morning. Nicole Ackman. Hi, everyone. And Lauren LaMagna. Good morning, everybody. We were supposed to have uh, more people on today, uh, but I had to move this uh, podcast recording a little early this has been this has been a jam-packed weekend. It seems like a lot of events are starting to take place in New York and LA for uh, voting. Uh, the FYC campaigns are out in full force right now. Um, Dan and I were at an event hosted by Jake Gyllenhaal yesterday for uh, Honey Boy, which I'm sure he'll talk about in a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gone to a couple of different events. I've got a chance to talk to. A couple of people put my ear to the ground in terms of like where the buzz currently is at for certain movies right now. And it's really interesting how things are starting to take shape. And another really interesting development right now in the race is the sense that um, screeners are not coming out as frequently as they normally do around this time of year. And I think that that's actually been a huge advantage for the ones that have gotten out. Because if you're sitting around waiting for more right now and you've only got a handful in front of you to watch at the very moment, You know, ones like Her Smell with Elizabeth Moss or Us or uh, Missing Link, uh, the animated film from Laika. Those were some that went out recently. This is giving people an opportunity to catch up with those now because they have no other choice. And I think that it could yield some very interesting results uh, in the weeks to come. Anyway, enough about that. We're also going to talk about AFI today. We're going to talk about the polls. We're going to talk about trailers for three movies. Uh, But first and foremost... Before we get into all of that, uh, I'm going to kick it over first to Nicole Ackman. Nicole, uh, what did you catch up with this week in the movie theater? Yeah, so I actually didn't see anything uh, actually in a cinema this week, but I did watch a couple of things at home. One of which was that I rewatched The King, um, which at first I was rewatching it for the sake of the podcast because I had seen it at Film Fest uh, 919, but that was a couple of weeks ago, so I wanted to kind of freshen up my memory. And I feel like it speaks a lot to how much I like The King that I only got halfway through rewatching before the podcast, but I finished rewatching it after the podcast. Um, and then the other thing that I watched is I watched this movie called Love is Blind, uh, which I reviewed for In Their Own League. And um, it was an indie kind of rom-com movie and it it happened uh <laughs> Aiden Turner is very attractive in it and that's about the best thing I've got to say about it so <laughs> okay alrighty would not recommend uh Dan Bear what about yourself uh well I saw yesterday I saw Marriage Story finally and it's good 
Um, and then I, as I said later, or as you said earlier, um, we we saw Honey Boy, which I actually liked much better than Marriage Story. Oh wow! <laughs> if I'm being honest, yeah. Um, I that movie, the, it, and which like it definitely has some problems. There, um, there's some the the melding of the two timelines between um, him in rehab and. Um, him looking back on his time as a kid with his father, like doesn't always work, but the emotional core of everything is so strong that it ties it all together. And I, <laughs> Shia LaBeouf, I, I can't even imagine like writing this first of all, and then playing his father and to give th- to give the kind of performance he does, like that's just—he's incredible, and he needs to be in the best supporting actor conversation because it's one of the great performances of the year, as far as I'm concerned. And I—I <laughs> I don't think Noah Jupe is capable of giving a bad performance. No, God, no. He is so good in this. <laughs> the kid is so good. He's so good, and he's always been good. In everything, and just like he just keeps getting better and better, I he's gonna win an Oscar one day, like 10, 20 years down the line, if he keeps this up. Lucas Hedges continues to prove to me that he has the best agent working in Hollywood today. <laughs> it's like even with such a small uh, role in Honey Boy, I mean, he still gets this material that he's able to really sink his teeth into, and he continues to show us sides of himself um, as a talent that. Uh, just they, it keeps surprising me every single time. I'm, I'm constantly amazed by what a great talent he is. Um, same thing with Noah Jupe, as you said before, uh, really blew me away in that movie. But the, the, the talk is around Shia. Um, it'll be interesting to see if uh, his screenplay gains any traction within the race. But I agree with you, Dan. I don't know why more people are not talking about him as a possibility of Best Supporting Actor. I think the main reason is maybe because people might have a hard time um, getting over his past and, you know, some of the bridges he may have burned with some people and things of that nature. But the movie is like the movie is a, a, a way for us to at least understand where he was coming from and why he was the way that he was. What people decide to do with him now beyond this moment in his life, um, you know, is left to be seen. But I don't know. In a town that's all about giving second chances to people and such, I I, I think that he rightfully, on performance alone, forget about what he went through, but yeah. the performance is so good. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with I'm with you on that one. I think he needs to be in the conversation more. Mm, agreed. Uh, what else? Agreed. Oh, and then um, well, and you and I saw uh, Dark Waters this week. Also, I don't think we can talk about it. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. We can't review it because embargo. But like, it will be interesting to see if the Oscar race embraces this one. Um, I, I think it's going to get lost in the shuffle. I think it's one of those films that's going to get, just get lost in there. Um, without giving my thoughts away on the movie itself, you know, it, it's an, it's an issue, issue film. It, it reeks of importance when you watch it. 
and you definitely walk away with the impact that they that you are supposed to feel. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that could make that that could resonate strongly with some people. Um, I, I I could foresee that happening. It'll be interesting to see, though. Regardless, you're right. Um, it's definitely not conventional. Todd Haynes. <laughs> it's actually very conventional, which is it, yeah. It's con- it's just Haynes. conventional, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I the thing that sticks with me most after some time away from it is that it's clear that Mark Ruffalo has a lot of passion for this particular project. And if anything is going to connect with people, I think it's going to be that. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, Lauren, what about yourself? Guys, I finally did it. I saw The Irishman last night. Yay! It was so cool. Like, it just, I'm so glad I saw it in a cinema on a big screen with a full audience. And it's just so nice seeing all those guys back together again. It's a good movie. It's not my favorite Martin Scorsese film, but it's still it's such a well-made piece of art, and I love all of them. I do think um, Al Pacino stole the show for me, in my opinion. And if I would, you know, campaign for anyone, it would be him. Yeah. I will be honest. I did feel the time though a little bit. I did feel those three and a half hours. I think it could have been. You know, maybe 30 minutes on the shorter end, but it's still a great film. And please see it in a cinema if you can. And if you cannot watch it on Netflix, it's a great piece of art. And just seeing all those guys together directed by one of the greatest is a work of art. It really is. Hashtag cinema, baby. Love it. It is. You guys read the Scorsese op-ed that he wrote? Yeah. You know, it's been very interesting uh, how... Everybody can only really seem to talk to Marty nowadays about his take on Marvel films, which has been very frustrating. And the fact that he felt compelled to write something. um, I really believe that the debate is over. Um, I feel like it's been over for a while now. Mm -hmm. But I think that that op-ed just like finally put to rest. And if, you know, if people are going to still be complaining about this debate, um, in my opinion, you either don't know what you're talking about or you're just very willfully ignorant slash fanboy. I also think that the op-ed make it very clear that like he's not being disrespectful to people like in right. all of this. Like he's not like I think Coppola who is more like, you know, doesn't care if he's saying that these people's taste sucks or whatever. But he's just making a point that like, you know, it's not the same type of film and whatever. And I think that his respectfulness for the other people in this debate, if you will call it that is maybe kind of what helps to end it. Yeah, and I, I want to just bring this up because I think this feels like an entirely other debate that we've had now over the last couple of years. And I, I think now if you have not come around to the idea that Netflix is not trying to push anyone out on, on the other end, you know, talking about these big studio temple films, pushing people out, like Scorsese said, like the Greta Gerwigs, the Paul Thomas Andersons and the Noah Baumbachs of the world, and they can't get their movies shown. That's one discussion. But Martin Scorsese making a film with Netflix and then reading also about how all the studios and all the major theater chains and everything else have made it so difficult for a movie like The Irishman to be seen. Uh, that Lauren, you traveled what an hour and a half just to see it the other day, right? Yeah, I go to school in Massachusetts, so I got on a bus and then I took a train and then I took another train to see it in one of mm. I think two cinemas in New York City. 
It was a journey. This goes back now to, you know, what I was saying before, the, the debate that we've been having now over the last couple of years with Netflix being so prominent in the Oscar race is, well, what does that mean for the industry moving forward? I think Netflix and with Marty as a mouthpiece for them this year especially have made it extremely clear at this point that they are not trying to make cinema go away. I think that they are actually saving that uh, that aspect of cinema with the types of projects that they are backing, with the filmmakers' visions that they are backing, and being so supportive and giving them creative control to make these projects. I I think it's so apparent at this point that to have any other type of mindset and allow that to affect how you're voting on the Oscars, I think is silly at this point. Which is all short for saying, I think Irishman stands a chance to win Best Picture. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I think that, and I also think that that goes for like more broadly any of the you know big Netflix films. But I mean, I think that you summed it up perfectly, Matt. Yeah, yeah. It's just interesting how the conversation, you know, and everybody being so fearful about how has cinema been changing over the course of all this time. Um, it, it's like beginning to just kind of make more sense to me now. You know what I mean? And maybe that's the way that we've always kind of felt in the back of our minds that it would play out like this, and we'd eventually get to this point. But I know for myself, speaking personally, I have finally come to the point where I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I'm tired of this debate. I think it, I think the evidence is there that Netflix is not trying to prevent people from going to the movies. They wanted The Irishman to be shown on as many theaters as humanly possible. <laughs> and it's everyone else that had a problem with it. I mean, they opened the Paris Theater in New York City back up to mm-hmm. play Marriage Story. Yeah. And they're renting like, out the um the freaking uh a Broadway theater, the Belaska. Yeah. Because it won't play anywhere say, else. Yeah. I think it's hard and to say that they don't want their film seen in theaters. <laughs> no, because like that's the thing when they say Yeah, when they say like we want to get it out, the only places they could get get the Irishman and Marriage Story in is what like six theaters tops. Like I don't even think it's in ten theaters in New York and LA combined, which is annoying and like horrible and the fact that you have to go to a film festival to see it on a big screen and not everyone can do that is annoying and I do I don't know if I blame Marvel I definitely put Disney into that huge category like why can't we get these guys into cinema into theaters because that's what they're made for they're made to be shown on a big screen with the general audience to have that shared experience and the fact that you know people have to go out of their way and sometimes cross state lines to get there is annoying. And I think what uh, Marty's piece was saying that I think is like very very crucial once again is you can do both. You you can have the big quote unquote amusement park movies playing but you can also have these smaller films also playing. I think what everyone is afraid of and what he's afraid of is they're taking up so many screens that there are no screens left to be shown uh, for these smaller, independent, uh, artistically uh, driven films. Agreed. Yeah. You know, and and then that's when the conversation of, well, now all of these are going to just be done via streaming um, and only on streaming and they won't receive theatrical runs. That's where that conversation comes into play then. But – I can tell you this. Netflix doesn't want that. Yeah. <laughs> they, 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 they're going to they're gonna have their people that will – they want to give people a choice. They don't want to force you to have to you know, watch it via streaming. They want people to have the choice. But the major theater chains 
are making it increasingly difficult for that choice to be provided to people. But because that's because they know what so many other people who would go to see movies know, which is that these movies are going to be on Netflix much sooner rather than much later. And therefore, why would they go see it in a movie theater? Like, I, I get it, and I certainly would much rather see these in a movie theater than on Netflix. I know that if something goes straight to Netflix, I'm less likely to watch it because there's so many things to watch. Whereas if it's in the movie theater, I make the time. But, like, it... The majority of people, if given the option, they watch it at home. So what's the what the exhibitors, the people who, you know, show the movies, they don't have very much incentive when it's going to be showing on Netflix within a month. But I also think, Dan, that like not to say that that's not valid, but that's also your opinion as a New Yorker who has access to a lot of movies Whereas, like, something that I've realized since coming, you know, I moved recently from New York back to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of movies that if they weren't streaming, if they weren't on Netflix, like, I would just not get to see. Um, so I think that, like... Well, no, I'm not saying, like, at all. Yeah. Just, like, within such a short window after the theatrical, yeah. you know? Yeah. More on this story as it develops. Uh, another story uh, this week. I, I got to touch upon this really fast. Um, did you guys know um, there's this hot new actor in town named James Dean? Wait a minute. Oh, Lord. That sounds familiar. Lord, give me strength. <laughs> See, now, out of everything that we've talked about today in terms of quote-unquote debates, this is one that I'm like, we need to stop this. Like, this needs to stop. Where's the debate? I haven't seen anyone say that this is a good idea. <laughs> the only people who seem to think that it's a good idea are the people that are spearheading the idea. <laughs> I just, I don't even understand why one would do this, to be honest. Well, let's just let's just clear it up what it is, actually. So th- there there is a movie uh, apparently coming out right now. Um, and James Dean, who tragically passed away many, many, many years ago and is a cultural icon uh, within this industry. They are basically going to be digitally restoring him for this movie. And I understand from what I've heard that this is not a small role. Like this is like an actual, like full scale role. And instead of just casting another actor, it's like, it's like, guys, let, let's let's just get James Dean. Oh, oh, we can't. He he died. Well, <laughs> why should that stop us? I, I like it's so. I don't even know what that conversation looks like behind closed doors. You know, it, it's so. It's beyond bizarre to me to the point that I had to check and see if it was April Fools. Honestly, I'll tell you what the conversation was like behind closed doors. Yeah, no one is going to see this movie. How do we get people interested? I know. Yeah. Will resurrect James Dean. Like, just, who like, are the people who are making this movie? What is this movie? No one knows. No one knows. But now everyone is thinking about it because they're doing this idiotic thing. Here's the quote. We searched high and low for the perfect character to portray the role of Rogan, which has some extreme complex character arcs. And after months of research, we decided on James Dean. <laughs> eh, there's a person out there. There's got to be one. <laughs> yeah, come on. I don't understand how you can say that you searched high and low for the right actor, and I, I'm, I'm so, so bewildered right by this. Died many, many years ago. Like he's not. It, 
It feels like, you know, in The Great Gatsby, when Nick is like, you can't repeat the past. And Gatsby's like, of course you can, old sport. That's what, that's them. Yeah, basically. Like, <laughs> I just like, can't fathom them thinking that there's not an actor who could play this role. That it could be played by not an actor. You know, we, we already did this with Tarkin in, uh, you know, Rogue One. And... Grand Moff Tarkin, please. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but anyway, those results were very, very mixed, to say the least. But the fact that, um, you know, Carrie Fisher's family, like, said, okay, you can do this with her if you want to do this for episode nine. And Kathleen Kennedy said, no, it's unethical. So the fact yeah. that when a family is okay with it, and then the like, then the head still saying we're still not okay with it ethically-wise, and the fact that that fact is there so why would you just rant the fact that these people are just randomly bringing this guy just because they can just like proves there's such an unethical underlying no like because it's not cool there has to be one actor in the world or one human in the world that could do something it's just you can't bring someone back for a role like that it's just not cool I think that there is maybe a time and place for this kind of technology like I can understand that maybe if you have an actor who has filmed 75% of a movie. Paul Walker, Furious 7. Yeah, yeah. something mm -hmm. tragically happens to them. Then you use it to finish out the movie or something like that because you sure. don't want to scrap what they have already made. That I understand that like maybe, yes, there is a time and place for this. Um, or even like some sort of small thing like, you know, if we need a tiny one clip of Princess Leia in a flashback or something. Um that I even understand. Or, or I just saw Doctor Sleep recently, and instead of using CGI for recreating Shelley Duvall and Jack Nicholson, they just cast lookalike actors, and it's I mean, fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah we suspend our disbelief. Right. I just don't know why you would start an entirely new movie that this actor has never been involved with. And try and put them in. Also, if they're like, oh, it's a really difficult role. That also makes me think that this technology is like not the right fit. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it's not even he's playing himself. Like they're making, they're creating him to play another character. That's just ridiculous in my opinion. I'm bringing this up because at the end of the day, this is a trend. And this is something uh, within the industry that we're seeing getting used more and more. And I am just going to come right out right now and say that unless if it is for the reasons that Nicole just said a second ago, please stop. <laughs> just, <laughs> just stop. Like, come on. Like, what are we doing here? You know, at that point, it's so, so, I, I, I still don't know what to make of it. It's, it's way too weird for me. Uh, one thing that we can continue to keep using computer animation for is for creating Pixar movies. We love Disney Pixar movies, don't we, people? Come on. Mostly, yes. Yeah. They tug on the heartstrings. Well, Pete Docter, uh, maybe the most celebrated uh, director over at Pixar. He has done Monsters, Inc. Uh, he's done Up, and he's done Inside Out. He has a new film coming out in 2020 uh, called Soul, which we received a uh, trailer for this week. And uh, this one stars Jamie Foxx, Tina Fey, Felicia, uh, Felicia Rashad, David Diggs. Um, let's take a look at the trailer for this one, and let's give some thoughts. What would you want to be known for on Earth? We only have a short time on this planet. You want to become the person that you were born to be? 
Don't waste your time on all the junk of life. What am I doing? Spend your precious hours doing what will bring out the real you. The brilliant, passionate you that's ready to contribute something meaningful into this world. I got the gig. I really need a haircut today, man. Can you fit me in? Whoa, whoa, sorry. Probably for doing this funny cowboy dance. <laughs> Great. So it's Coco meets Inside Out. I w- okay, I need help here, guys. <laughs> I was very, very on board with this trailer at first. Um, the visual aesthetic was even reminding me of if Beale Street could talk at points. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. this is some of the most gorgeous animation I think I've ever seen Pixar do. Like, these lighting effects are unreal. And just so I'm getting this right, the character dies? I think so. Or something. It's a teaser, so it's hard to tell on purpose. Maybe he's dropped into a soul world? Like That's my interpretation. Okay, on Internet Movie Database, it describes the storyline as, a musician who has lost his passion for music is transported out of his body and must find his way back with the help of an infant soul learning about herself. So he's in a coma? Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. But like the the trailer just made it so unclear as to what was going on in that like last portion, and I was left scratching my head. Uh, I I just. I yeah. really, really, really hope that most of the film is not spent in the weird little soul realm, because I feel like, like you said, the animation for like the human part of it is so beautiful, and also like this, I believe, is Pixar's first. Um, film that has a black lead character and there is an Mm -hmm. issue that i've seen talked about on twitter a lot recently in that um a lot of animated films with black lead characters end up with the lead not in human form for most of the movie so like princess and the frog is a great example yeah so Mm -hmm. people are saying like how much of a win is it if we only see him as a black man for like 10 minutes. Well, I, I, I do think it is a valid criticism to bring up. And obviously there yeah. is history there to back it up. Um, I would say let's wait to see the finished product. We don't know if uh, there are more scenes that are intercut back and forth and such. I'm yeah. saying I, I hope that this we is, actually yeah. get some of that beautiful, you know, Beale Street style looking animation. And it's not yeah. all like, the weird soul things. Sure. <laughs> not to mention, too, the soul uh, animation. Um, I definitely was reminded by Inside Out. I I, was 100% like, okay, this does seem like instead of this being something new, uh, which Inside Out felt at the time, felt wholly original, this feels like we're trying to copy that formula again. And remember, just 
everyone remember this is only a teaser it's not the full right like there's there will be more to come that will make more sense for now as like a this is what's like this is what will be very far in the future get excited i i'm i'm interested yeah no definitely i mean like i said pete doctor's uh track record uh how how could you not be Uh, and then you have trent reznor and atticus ross doing the score what (laughs) (laughs) yeah sign me up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also, like Jamie Foxx back on the up and up, like <laughs> yeah. Um, and obviously, I will follow Davi Diggs uh, anywhere. So I would do the same thing with Tina Fey. There we go. I I think people will see it because I think with the voice talent connected to it, um, is the oh, right. I, I think people comedy. will see it because it's Pixar. <laughs> yeah, and it's an early summer release, so it's no, it yep. should be fun and might be a little bit on the lighter side for Pixar. Pixar. They've had this release schedule a bunch of times before, and it is always kind of work for them. Uh, they have another film out next year as well that'll be releasing a few months prior to this one. Um, I think it's very, very clear that this one's probably the one that's being set up more for um, Oscar talk and so on and so forth. So. You know, this this is a formula that we've seen them do in the past with their release schedule. Uh, so, you know, no surprise there. Now, the only question is, um, are they going to have a good year or are they going to have a mediocre year? Because they, they've had their fair share of mediocre years, I feel like, where they uh, mm-hmm. under-delivered uh, somewhat, even, even when they had two films in a single year. So not every time did they knock it out of the park nowadays. I think they're about to lose the Oscar uh, to Frozen 2, probably. Oh so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Reactions for that dropped this yeah. week, and those were those were wild. Huge. Yeah. So yeah. they're probably really hoping Soul is good. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm excited about Frozen too. I'm seeing it on a uh, Wednesday, uh, Tuesday. So I don't remember. Excited. I'm seeing it Tuesday. I'm seeing it Tuesday. Yeah, so excited. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun. I'm I'm actually excited to uh, revisit it. Uh, the first one before I actually uh, see the new one again because yeah. I haven't seen the uh, original since its uh, release. Actually, oh man, so but you've heard so those good. songs since. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely. Are you kidding me? I'm actually really excited because I'm going to be at Disney World during release week. So wow. hopefully they have some fun oh, stuff wow. going on. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they'll do it big. You're going to be turned into the unknown for the entire time. Like, if it doesn't snow, Nicole, uh, they will just do <laughs> fake snow in the sky, oh, yeah. obviously. Oh, yeah. So it'll, it'll be fun. It'll be cool. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together, we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week, we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners, so if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talking about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, let's no, talk stop, about stop, this stop, minutia Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And shut I wonder shut who up. the gap can God watch. damn it, shut I up. up. I think that's enough. All right, so now moving on from that, I want to uh, talk about AFI. Uh, AFI is happening this week. Uh, it's the last major film festival of the season. Uh, traditionally, we do see uh, a lot of films premiere there that, traditionally speaking, there usually is one 
film from AFI that makes its way into the Oscar race. Last year, not so much. Uh, last year, it was on the basis of sex and Mary Queen of Scots. And Queen of Scots got a few nominations, but um, didn't do damage in the same way that something like Selma or American Sniper uh, had done, you know, in years past. So this year, uh, the big premieres are Richard Jewell, the new Clint Eastwood film, Queen and Slim, which has been getting, I, 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 I think that film has been getting a, a tremendous amount of underground buzz and it's just waiting to break out. Um, I, I, I think there's going to be an audience for that film in a very, very major way. And uh, the other one is this uh, Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus has a movie in the Oscar race this year uh, called The Banker. You know, uh, this came as a shock to me, uh, especially considering I didn't really hear much about this project and Apple TV Plus is new on the scene right now with their content. And this is their first uh, feature film that they are backing uh, for uh, for your consideration. And uh, we actually have a trailer for this one. So I kind of want to discuss this film first and then we'll talk about uh, the other two films and how we think they might play in the Oscar race, what predictions we currently have lined up for them. Uh, But this is The Banker. It stars Anthony Mackie, Nicholas Holt, and Samuel L. Jackson. Um, And it is the story of two uh, African-American entrepreneurs who during the 50s and 60s uh, try to uh, circumvent racial limitations of the era and take on the establishment by recruiting a working-class white man, and they train him to pose as the head of their business empire. Let's take a look at this one. So, what's your plan, Mr. Garrett? How would you like to buy a bank? What the hell do we know about banking? Owning a bank is like owning the other side of the real estate business. There's a few complexities you just left out. Like what? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I not wake up black this morning? Because I'm pretty sure I did. Yep, still black. I got my head full of dreams. I came here to try my hand at real estate. <laughs> you matter, millionaire units? <laughs> you know the time never I like seeing black men succeed. Sometimes I even invest some of my own money to back them. I know you're smart and ambitious. You and I both know that's not enough. It's time that someone shine a bright light in order for things to change. Are you starting to buy real estate in white-only neighborhoods? Keep one eye open. Think about all the good we can do for the community. Taking it to the man. That's exactly what we're going to (laughs) do. And just how in the hell do you plan on pulling that off? We get Matt to front for us. You want me to what? Be us to the rest of the world. We can't set foot in the bank unless we to help. Should've took limo driver when you had the chance. I don't know anything about banking. I don't know how to buy a bank. We'll teach you everything you need to know. You gotta learn how to talk to rich white folks like you one of them. And you can't fake a golf game. Make me proud, son. Whole country's talking about how two Negroes managed to buy two banks full of white folks' money and loan it to other Negroes. (laughs) You should have known you couldn't keep this a secret very long. FBI, you're under arrest. A black man tries to bring other brothers up. That's intolerant. Oh, when you're living on faith, something's got to give. Something's got to give. Even a rig gang's fun to play by now. If this was easy, somebody else would have done it a long time ago. Something's got to give. You a revolutionary. Looks fun. I'm yeah. yeah. And I've never heard of this film until 
until literally the trailer oh. dropped. Me too. Mm-hmm. It yeah. just like came out of nowhere for me. To... It looks interesting. It looks fun. I don't know. If, I don't see it making it into like the Oscars, but it seems like a fun, interesting movie. I almost expected John David Washington to pop up on screen and be like, with the right white man, you could do pretty much anything <laughs> from Black Klansman. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I like seeing Samuel L. Jackson uh, in a role like this. I like seeing Anthony Mackie doing something outside of the MCU. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's really, that's really not, good. That's not hardcore comedic. Mm. Yeah. And I love to see Nicholas Holt in a supporting role. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We love Nicholas Holt when he's supporting. 100% agreed. <laughs> Uh, he looks like he's bringing some comedic charm here, which looks a lot of fun. Um, Samuel L. Jackson, there's one moment in this trailer that like kind of pulled me out, and it's when Samuel L. Jackson does his laugh. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know, the typical Samuel L. Jackson laugh, and I'm just like, oh, Sam, never change. <laughs> never change. Yeah. <laughs> uh. You know, uh, really quick, I don't know if we mentioned this last week, but, uh, you know, at, at 70 years of age, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, I, I uh, know last week we were talking about who should get honorary Oscars. Samuel L. Jackson should yeah. get an honorary Oscar at yeah. some point. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if we mentioned that. I can't remember. But if we but didn't, was, I'm saying it now. That, yeah. yeah. We did. Okay. Yeah, good. I said good. that. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. Same. So, yeah, I don't see this. I really don't see this gaining traction. I, I here's my feeling right now with a lot of these movies, unless if you are too big to ignore, like a Frozen Two, or like a Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker, 1917, if you are a small movie trying to break into the race now with this shortened, condensed window that we have this year, you are going to be eaten alive. Mm. That is my feeling on a lot of tiny small movies that for some bizarre reason are choosing to release late in the game, like Clemency, for example, like this. Yeah. Um, hell, I don't know what Sony is doing with A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, but that opens up in two weeks and there is nothing going on with that movie for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, wait until it releases and people will, people are going to go insane for it. But they got to campaign it. Yeah. I hope that it doesn't not get its due because because I I do think it's going to be a great film, but I hope that like they haven't screwed it over. Mm-hmm. I I I have faith that after <laughs> it's released, the interest is going to pick back up. I think just like it's not it's not a very for lack of a better word, sexy film in the way that like marriage story and the Irishman and frozen two are like, and those are the films that are kind of like everyone is buzzing about now. And it's very much not that type of thing. But I think like, I think they're banking on it being a big hit and for that to carry it through, which I mean, they picked the perfect time to release it in terms of that. And the film really speaks for itself in terms of the quality. And I will see what happens after it gets released for, but for right now I'm thinking like, I'm sort of like biting my nails a little bit, but I, it's my, cause it's my favorite film of the year, but I, for now I'm, I'm not worried about it. If after it comes out, nothing happens, then I'll start to get worried. So 
Another thing uh, I also want to mention in regards to this as well is, you know, it's smart to premiere your film at AFI. Like I said, it's um, the last festival stop. Um, And some of these movies, they're not coming out right after. They are coming out in December. But getting a high platform like this, if there is a film that premieres at AFI that gets a unanimous amount of praise and gets huge buzz out of that festival with such a high platform, that is good. That is where something like Queen and Slim or Richard Jewell uh, could start to you know gain traction, where some of these other smaller films being released too late in the year that don't have huge backing or big spectacle behind it, whatever it is, um, they're the ones that I think are being threatened to get lost in the shuffle. So with that said... What are you guys predicting right now in terms of what the reception might be for Queen and Slim, uh, Richard Jewell, and The Banker? I think people are going to really like Queen and Slim. I really do think that's going to be the winner of the AFI premiere films. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely going to get an audience. I don't know if it's going to – I think if anything can squeeze its way in, it is that film, but I don't think it will. I think it will get a really huge audience, though. I think that people will like The Banker, but I think that they will like it in a way that gets no awards traction. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I think it's going to do well and probably will have decent bo- like decent views on it. Um, but I don't see that getting in anywhere. The one thing hurting it, I feel like right now, is Apple TV Plus's initial launch mm-hmm. um, didn't get well received in terms of yep. the um, content that was on there. Yep. Uh, they really do need something good, like really good, to get people onto that platform for that film to find an audience. Some people still don't know Apple TV is a thing. Yeah. yeah. No, you're 100% right, which is so mm-hmm. weird considering they are the most mm-hmm. profitable, biggest company in the entire world. If if Netflix can be everywhere all at once at all times on the tip of everyone's uh, mouths, why can't Apple TV Plus, you know? I wonder how much of a theatrical push they're really going to give this. Well, uh, what we do know for sure is we do know for sure that uh, the banker uh, is, you know, like I said, receiving a theatrical push after its premiere at AFI. And then it's going to be on Apple TV Plus in <clears throat> and then it's going to be on Apple TV Plus in January. I believe uh, January 31st, it'll be on the platform. It's limited release is like early December. Interesting. I, I know I, I know that people don't want to admit this, but I have this feeling that Richard Jewell is going to be a big player in the awards conversation. Do you? It's hard to discount anything that Clint Eastwood puts out. I mean, there, he has his fans and there's always buzz around whatever he does. Even if, you know, like this, it just seems like he woke up one day in the middle of the year and he was just like, let's make a movie today. Yeah. And just like shot it in like a week. You know, but like, I, I, it's hard to discount. It's hard. You can't count him out because it, there's always something there. I don't know about, I, I personally offended by the way they're marketing it, but I, I, it looks like it's not bad. I think the thing I keep coming back to is this. I keep coming back to, you know, when Clint gets a good script uh, with good actors, Mm-hmm. It works, right? Mm-hmm. 
Now, the story of Richard Jewell is indeed a compelling one. Is the script any good? I don't know. We might end up in a weird situation like we did with The Front Runner when it came out, where that script was hitting a little too close to home for some people, politically speaking, and there was a mixed reception on it. And because a lot of people also were um, a little unclear about what that movie's intentions were. And I think nowadays in such politically charged times where everybody's definitely uh, very tense about what's going on in the current political landscape, um, Richard Jewell is a movie that's making its intentions very, very known to people, um, I think, through its marketing, like you said, Dan. But I also don't want to, you know, be closed-minded to the idea that it, you know, even if I don't agree with its politics, it means it's not a, that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, it could still have great performances. It could still be shot well. It could still be edited well. Yeah, and it has a you know? great cast, too. Like, it has yeah, on it paper. Yeah. It should be, like, people are definitely going to see it. It's a Clint Eastwood film with, you know, John Hamm, Sam Rockwell, Kathy Bates, Olivia Wilde. The list goes on and on. And I'm telling you this right now, wholeheartedly, um, watch out for either Kathy Bates or Olivia Wilde in Supporting Actress. She's oh, yeah. Such a good year. I just, Kathy Bates, because obviously she has the uh, history with the mm-hmm. Academy, and uh, we could tell from the trailer that she's got a, a few emotional scenes. Um, so, you know, we've seen that uh, recipe kind of come together and create some success for other actresses before in this category. And Olivia Wilde, like you said, Lauren, she's having such a good year. And I don't see a world where she gets a nomination for Booksmart. Um, unfortunately, yeah. you know, DGA nominations and uh, indie spirits and things like that are probably definitely in the cards. But um, this could be a way to acknowledge what a year and career mm-hmm. she's had uh, with her first nomination possibly here. Maybe. So I, I wouldn't rule it out. I, I would say keep it on the car on, on the table. On the back burner, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've got it like ready to slot in if I see it you know, reactions go well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's what it's all going to come down to, I think. I think if I think if the reactions are muted or they're just not stupendous, um, like I said, I think smaller... It's have like a Frozen 2 level. <laughs> yeah, basically. I think smaller films are going to just, like I said, get eaten alive then. Uh, because at this point, the race feels very, very set in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it's really, really hard for something to come in late and break that unless if the buzz is massive. Yeah, which is why, like, there's going to be massive buzz for for Queen and Slim, what, no matter, like, how, what the reactions are. People are going to react to it. And there are going to be people for which that is their film of the year. You're going to see is- a lot of think pieces on that movie. Oh, yeah. You're going to see a lot of discourse on this movie. Mm-hmm. You are going to see a lot of passion for this movie a lot and i think it is going to strike a chord with those who do see it i just don't know how big that audience will be the potential is there for it to be massive um it could be like the sleeper film of the thanksgiving season that just people go out in droves to see it and support it and I would not rule that possibility out at all. You know, but then again, it's also being released at a time where, you know, Frozen 2, Beautiful Day in the <laughs> Neighborhood, and like, once Knives again, 
it, not yeah, yeah. knives out it, it'll be ford v ferrari is projected to make some good money it, it might be hard for it to emerge from that but I, I i am not saying it's impossible at all i think that film could have some very very strong legs you know what's very interesting in terms of uh, the race right now uh, i know we're talking a lot about release dates and films having buzz and so on and so forth did you guys hear that cats may not be uh eligible for golden globes that and sag is so upsetting <laughs> That is nutty. Does this nutty. mean it won't win the Oscar for Best Picture? <laughs> I think Dan's having a stroke right now. It's literally <laughs> such a cat thing to do that it's going to miss all these deadlines. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I personally think like that was all. It was always going to be more of a commercial play than an awards play. Yeah, come on. But like, <laughs> the Globe for comedy musical would have been such a gimme <laughs> for that movie, and like. I don't understand. For I don't it and everything. Understand. <laughs> well, as of today, I do have Cats receiving uh, two nominations for song and for production design. And that's it. Yeah. I know some people are saying visual effects, maybe. Uh, they have said that they have gone back and retouched the visual effects to make them a little bit better after the uh, initial trailer reactions. There's no little touch-up yeah. that you can do that can fix that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, there's a second trailer also coming, apparently, I think, this week, yeah. uh, from what I understand. Uh, so that'll bring the internet uh, back together again. Oh, uh, you know, the, uh, the the sequel to the event of the year, which was us reacting to the Cats trailer. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, my God. Amazing. You know what word sounds uh, almost like Cats? Cars. Ford v. Ferrari uh, comes out uh, next week. What kind of segue? And, uh, <laughs> hey guys, I had to try to come up with some sort of a segue. Uh, and we have a poll uh, for this week, and it is all based around uh, racing. But before I get to that, I want to ask, I want to reveal to you guys what the poll results were for last week, which was our dearly beloved Ewan McGregor. We asked everyone which Ewan McGregor performance is their favorite. The votes have been counted, and we do have a top 10. Woo. So, without further ado, let's get to it. At number 10 is I Love You, Philip Morris, which is a film that I urge people to check out. It's a weird one, but it's a good one. Uh, number nine is Christopher Robin. Mm. Number eight is The Ghost Rider. Number seven is Velvet Goldmine. Yes. All right, and this is where then we saw like kind of a jump in the uh, in the in the poll. Number six is Beginners. He's quite good in that. I know Christopher Plummer got a lot of the mentions for that, but he's pretty good in that. That's my favorite for him. Number five is The Impossible, another one that where was he was good. He's so yeah. good in that. Absolutely. Uh, no, no discredit to Naomi Watts. I mean, she was phenomenal in it as well. And she got a nicely deserved yeah, Oscar nomination. Everyone was great in that film. Number four is Big Fish. Okay. Yeah. A, a favorite amongst people, for sure. Uh, number three is Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. He was the chosen one. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Not living in darkness. <laughs> I actually like oh god what a hairdo that guy had in that too when uh we, we when we saw Doctor Sleep and Rebecca Ferguson's like well hey there uh, I just kept thinking of Obi Wan and uh, <laughs> Revenge of the Sith hello there <laughs> <laughs> 
Number two is train spotting. Yay, now I know what number one is. Awesome. <laughs> and with a gap of 17 votes, number one is Moulin Rouge. Yay. The, I mean, that's how can you not? Cute. Yeah. All right, good job, MVP film community. Very good. <laughs> uh, so also, too, uh, in terms of the uh, end of the decade polls, uh, we have been calculating those also lately, and that's been a lot of fun. Uh, something that I think that everybody has gotten involved in and really just enjoyed, uh, you know, telling us what films from the last decade have like really resonated with them very strongly. And we're doing our best to come up with like interesting polls that kind of group together a lot of films for you all to choose from. Uh, so we basically asked everyone uh, one week favorite black and white films from the past decade. Then the next week we asked uh, their favorite horror films. And now uh, for this week we had asked everyone which uh, biopic is their favorite. So and, many. you know, the definition, so I'll admit, <laughs> I was going to say the definition, I will admit a little loose on this one in some cases. Uh, but, you know, once we started like implementing rules, then it just started getting like way too specific. So I was like, you know what, let's just open it up. Let's see what people do. And we do have a list. And um, this is very, I have to say, the list is uh, pretty surprising, but very, very uh, exciting at the same time. You guys ready for this one? Yeah, let's do it. Yes. No, let's do it. Okay. Here we go. Number 10 is a film from this year. Rocket Man. Yes. Wow. Let's get the musicals in there. Uh, not expecting that. <laughs> Let's do it. Number nine is a film from last year. Can you ever forgive me? Oh hell wow. yeah! Wow. Oh wow. I'm shocked. Yeah. Number eight is Jackie. Yes. That tracks. Okay. Yep. The best. <laughs> Number seven is Damien Chazelle's First Man. Nice. Number six is I, Tanya. Okay. Interesting. Oh, interesting. Number five is 12 Years a Slave. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number four is Black Klansman. Oh, interesting. Wow. Number three is The Wolf of Wall Street. Number two is Nicole's favorite, The Favorite. <laughs> Nice. And number one, wow, with a difference of 57 votes higher uh, than the favorite wow. is David Fincher's 2010 film, The Social Network. Great film. <sighs> but I will say Steve Jobs is great. I love Steve Jobs. Yeah, I really so do. Much. Deserves so much. It deserves so much more than what I got. Yeah. So much more. Yeah. Yeah. I will say for the record, Steve Jobs was number 12. Okay. Okay. Uh, again, she deserves so much more than what she got. <laughs> Did any of the other uh, ones from this year make any sort of ranking? Like top 20, Matt? No. Okay. No, it did not. Interesting. Very interesting list. Yeah, so thank you everyone yeah. for that. Um, we don't have a new poll uh, just yet. Uh, for a decade, but we will have one later this week, so stay tuned for that. Uh, for this week, though, for the uh, weekly poll, uh, we are asking everyone which is their favorite racing film. 
And this definitely can have a loose definition. All right, it's not just cars. We we can we can implement uh, you know other kinds of racing. You know, just asking favorite racing movie. What what comes to mind, guys? What comes to mind? Cool Runnings. See, there you go. That's a choice. <laughs> Love it. You know, you could put in you could put in Fast and the Furious. You can mention. Um, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. You can mention Speed Racer, uh, Two Lane Blacktop, which is a favorite of mine. Does uh, does pod racing count? <laughs> uh, it depends, because what I will say is this: the the film has to. It can't just be a sequence in the movie. It needs okay. to be like what the movie is about. Like it's centered around okay. racing. You know, uh, Senna is a great one. If you guys have never seen that, that's phenomenal. Mm. Um, and of course, I, I I have a feeling this is gonna win, but you know, you never know. Uh, Rush, you know, is like I think like the most solid racing movie of the decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ford v Ferrari definitely will give it a run for its money, though, in that regard. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, Dan, what about you? Uh, you said Cool Runnings. Are there any others that come to mind? Not really. <laughs> um. If if this counts, I would say actually my favorite racing movie might be Secretariat. Uh, yeah, that would count. Oh, yeah. Uh, technically another one that uh, you know this this is like a loose one I think, but what, what I don't know. What do you guys think about something like Logan Lucky? Huh. Okay, yeah, Logan Lucky yeah. was a lot of fun. It's more of a heist movie though. Yeah, like that that's and like that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I was the first thing that came to me was Baby Driver, and I was like, I don't know if that one counts. Like, no, more no, it has to be thing. some sort of a racing yeah. competition Secretary of some sort. <laughs> yeah, Secretary would count, absolutely. So head on over to the polls page at nextbestpicture.com. Let us know uh, what your choices are there for uh, the best racing film, and uh, let us know. Alrighty, and now uh, we have another trailer to discuss this week. This is the uh, trailer for, you guys remember this guy named Ben Zeitlin? I love him. He made this movie called Beasts of the Southern Wild. One of my oh, favorites. so good. Yeah. So we've been all wondering, like, for a while now, like, where has this guy been? He uh, got an Oscar nomination from the other Ben that year. Uh, and, you know, it was, like, this amazing thing because here was this very, very young filmmaker on his directorial debut. It made, like, this indie darling that went on to get four major Oscar nominations for actress, adapted screenplay, picture, and director – Huge success story. Haven't heard a peep since. Well, not anymore. Uh, his second film, Wendy, is coming out in February of 2020. We'll for it. Let's take a look and share our thoughts. Remember the voice in your head? The one that said, sneak away. Here is the place it came from. We're on the mother! You will never grow! So began the legend of Peter, the boy who would not grow up. Want to fly? We can fly. Really fly? Just stay in a little. 
no longer. And tell her I miss her and I love her. Beware, children. You can leave yourself behind. You won't even know when it happened. This is where lost boys go when they're really lost. All children grow up. But some, the wild ones, the ones with a light in their eye, escape. beasts of the southern wild and it makes me very excited and cute but then I see you know the February release date and I get <laughs> really nervous and scared yeah it feels very strange um it looks like like almost exactly like beasts of the southern mm-hmm. wild and we've seen so many versions of Peter Pan that I'm just like I this is what you're doing with this long-awaited second feature you know someone did bring up to me that last year uh in the month of february you know annihilation came out and that was like a really beloved movie for a lot of people so Mm -hmm. in that regard it's like do i want to completely say that the february release is like the kiss of death no not really i do want to like maybe give this film a bit of a shot one thing that did come through for me though when watching this trailer um not the Beasts of the Seven Wild comparisons necessarily, but I, I did get this sense that there were a lot of um, a lot of uh, child actors that are probably not actors. Um, yeah. You know, and, that, yeah. Yeah, but I, I couldn't really get the sense of like what the story was or like how the dialogue that was being said was like feeding into like what the narrative of this retelling or reimagining if you will uh was it, it was a little confusing to me uh to be completely honest with you i almost did not ima- I, I almost did not like get any sense at all that this was a peter pan uh story and see more lord of the flies ish to me yeah and like yeah, I-, I get it like coming off of your like deck directorial debut i mean even though it's been such a long time it got such big praise and i guess it's i get it it's really scary to get back out there so you want to stay a little close to what people like because you know if you bake a pie on monday you want to bake the same pie on tuesday you want the same results but it's still like i don't know i like i do love him but it does i do get very much lord of the flies vibes visually it looks uh it's pretty good. outstanding now i will say that there were some shots in the trailer yeah. that i was like i, I really love his, his i really love his eye you know that he has for capturing the landscapes the handheld camera the lighting that he uh chooses I just um, I'm a little worried about just how the narrative itself will unfold mm-hmm. and what could he possibly provide us with this story uh, that we have not seen before, you know? Yeah. yeah. Also, it's called Wendy, but th- she's not much of a presence in the trailer. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> which was the for which was the other thing that really got me worried. And also, a reminder: he didn't. The re- piece of the Southern Wild was based off of a play. It wasn't adapted. Yeah. This is his story. I mean, like it is based off of yeah. Peter Pan, but it's this is very much him in the writers' room. So we could see that he's a great director. He has a great eye, but maybe not the best writer. 
He described it as a friendship love story adventure of her and a joyous, reckless, pleasure-mongering young boy as they swirl in and out of youth and as the ecosystem around them spirals towards destruction. That's a lot of words. <laughs> That's a lot, yeah. The other thing that it really reminded me of was um, Where the Wild Things Are. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Jones's film adaptation, which I also love. <laughs> um, but it, I... It, it's worrisome to me that he had such a very distinctive voice, I think, with Beasts of the Southern Wild. And this is, I can only, like, it reminds me of so many other things. Okay. Uh, more to come on that, obviously. That'll definitely be something to talk about when we get to uh, February. Uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to answer fan questions. and We're going to call it a week here. All right, here we go. Fan questions. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Richard Houlihan, are we sure Joaquin Phoenix is in the race for Joker? I feel like audiences had hyped him up, but I'm not sensing the buzz has gotten more intense since the film's release. Um, Richard, uh, love you. I do. Um, I think the buzz is still very much there as evidenced by the box office. Um, we're in a lull period right now. People also need to remember um, there. It will be a little quiet for a while for a lot of these movies. That um, already opened in like September, October. But when critics awards start after Thanksgiving, um, you'll see a lot of films uh, gain buzz. Like Hustlers, for example, is a movie that I could – I was telling Dan this. I could see a world where Hustlers starts to get uh, traction and begins to gain momentum for nominations outside of Jennifer Lopez. Why? Because critics groups, regional and the major ones – have a way with all of their various categories of bringing stuff back into the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or making us think about something that we never were even thinking of before. Yeah. He, let me tell you, Joaquin is the surest thing in the lead actor race this year. Yeah. I, I would say him and Driver are locks. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. If he missed, it would be such a major snub. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't see it happening. The man is definitely there, and especially with box office. Joker just became the most profitable comic book movie of all time. I mean, like, that's people are seeing it. People, I mean, there's their discourse and having the conversation, but people are going to see that movie. And without a doubt, like, there's all these spectrums of opinions, but the one thing that this man is phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that it's possible for people to hate the movie and still think he deserves a nomination. Oh, yeah, totally. And like mm-hmm. I've been saying, like this performance, everything he does in this performance, this actor's favorite things yep. to do yeah. as actors. And SAG is going to nominate him. He's probably going to win. Like, it's just that <laughs> you can't get past it. It's incredible. Uh, speaking, uh, sticking with performances here for a minute, uh, this one comes from Swamp Thing on Twitter. Uh, did you guys see the movie Wild Rose? Uh, do you see any chances for Jesse Buckley to be nominated either for her performance or song? At the BAFTAs. I would say the song is, uh, listen, you know, when it comes to original song, it's anybody's ball game. <laughs> you know, you know, you have your big, big, big contenders like Frozen 2, obviously, uh, but I've seen I, I've seen some surprise original song nominations before in the past where I'm just like, okay, that came out of nowhere, you know. Like remember when Ted, Ted got a nomination for original song? I fucking love the Ted. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I'm just saying that you know, it, it don't don't write anything off an original song. Literally anything can happen there. 
But for actress, the best bet is in the BAFTAs. It's a t- best actress is tough. There's one spot that people are fighting for right now. Mm-hmm. I love Jesse Buckley, but I don't feel like it's her year. Not yet. I think this is, and I said this before weeks ago when the film like came out, this is a performance to like build uh, her credibility and for people to finally notice her for the first time. Uh, what she chooses to do beyond this will be like considered the mainstream breakout for her. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then everybody will be like, I was on that wild rose train and y'all didn't listen to me. <laughs> you know? She was in Judy too. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't think that movie utilized her well in my <laughs> no, opinion. No, this is but... like Florence Pugh's Lady Macbeth sort of a situation. Yes. Yeah, um... yeah exactly. Exactly. I that. also think like she's in Doolittle um, next year. So I feel like that also will help oh. boost her to another crowd so that like whatever she does after that, um, it would potentially, you know, more be her time. Right. And once again, you know, I mentioned this uh, a little briefly earlier um, about screeners getting out and, you know, kind of like opening up people's minds to the possibility of just thinking outside the box, outside the typical stuff we're considering right now for some of these categories. You know, it's like everyone is going to bring up Renee. Everyone's going to bring up Scarlett Johansson. Everyone's going to talk about Charlize Theron. What about a Jesse Buckley in Wild Rose? Why not an Elizabeth Moss in Her Smell or Sienna Miller in American Woman? Like, people, if if anybody ever wants to tell me that it's like a weak year for the category, it's a weak year because they're thinking of the performances that uh, they believe have the best, like, awards heat when there's yeah. a plethora of great performances there that you either haven't seen or you're just not considering it and you should. <laughs> So, and Jesse Buckley is one of those. I would love to see her get like a surprise Golden Globe nomination or something, you know? Yeah, that would be great. All right, sticking with performances here for a second. Michelle Fowles asks, who are your four acting Oscar winners as of today? Uh, Joaquin, Scarlett, <laughs> you guys are going to laugh at me, Willem Dafoe, <laughs> And uh, I keep going back and forth on this, but I have Margot Robbie uh, for Bombshell right now in supporting. Uh, Dan, what about you? Okay. So I'm going to go with Adam Driver, Renee Zellweger. Um, You're an idiot for thinking it's going to be Willem Dafoe. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) He is proud of it. Hashtag let's go Dafoe. (laughs) I, I have absolutely no clue what to do with supporting actor. If oh, come on. Honest. You have someone in the one slot, one slot right um, now. Come on. Who is it? Uh, uh, um, <laughs> okay, Did you okay, just, def- okay. you can, you can just default to Brad Pitt, which is what everybody else is doing right now no, because actually, they no. too don't know who to pick no, to win on. it. Actually, you know what I'm going to, you know, who I'm going to say is going to win is going to be Joe Pesci. Ooh. Uh, mm. Because, because just hearing the way people are talking about just seeing him, it is so and, good. And like, and like people are like falling over themselves to see him around. And that's the kind of passion that I think is going to push him ahead of like Tom Hanks and Pacino and Brad Pitt. Um, and supporting actress. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably Margot Robbie in Bombshell. If she gets nominated, which I am still like borderline 
on. There is a real world where uh, she gets split votes for Once yeah. Upon a Time, yeah. and that, and she doesn't get a nomination for either. I, I'm, I'm with you, Dan. It's a possibility. Yeah. That's what I really think is going to happen. Her like, team needs to make her. a choice, and I, I personally believe the choice is Bombshell. They need to push it. I mean, that she has three big scenes that are like among the best scenes of the year yeah. for like any actor. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, Nicole? All right. Um, I, I'm moving these around a lot, but as of right now, you know, 10, 15 a.m., um, Adam Driver, Marriage Story, Renee Zellweger, Judy. Um, I keep switching around my Best Supporting Actor, but today I'm going to say John Lithgow for Bombshell. It's Hey, the guy's never won before. I, yeah, so. I think he's got an overdue narrative. I hope so. And I think that if they keep pushing, like, you know, the women of Bombshell have talked a lot about how they felt comfortable doing this film because they knew that he was such a good person, even though he's playing this despicable character. Like, I think that there's there's a path to campaign him well. Here's my only gripe with that. Yeah. In my mind, perception-wise, mm-hmm. John Lithgow winning for Bombshell would be the equivalent of if Michael Fassbender won for 12 Years a Slave and no one else yeah. won. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's what, that's, that's per, from yeah. a perception standpoint, that's my worry. Well, and I am also predicting Margot Robbie for. Okay, so now if you do that, that yes. that's that makes sense to me then. Okay, yeah, that's see, good. That's and I. That's what we I, call fair and balanced here at Fox News. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I'm like, I keep switching between her and Laura Dern, and if I predict Laura Dern, I don't predict John Lithgow, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think that there's there's a world in which they take the supporting categories together. All right, Lauren. Okay, I have Joaquin Phoenix. I have Renee Zellweger still. Um, I'm going to go with Al Pacino for supporting because I just got out of it last night and he was just electric. I mean, I know it's the it's just, – he's just so good. I mean, I know I, it's the I also want to say just for a little context in terms of Pesci and Pacino, I, I've mm-hmm. spoken with Netflix about this and Pesci is not campaigning at all. Of he course. doesn't need to. He he, 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 you know, and he also doesn't really. I mean, care. he doesn't really care, right? For him, it was a job. He was happy to do it. Um, he had a good experience with it. And now all the politicking and stuff, it's like you know, eh. not about him. Yeah. yeah. However, Pacino is going to a lot of events, going to Q and A's, and he is charming everybody. <laughs> He's the best. Like out of everyone, like on the panels and at the parties and stuff. He is the guy that's still, um, and he's, I think, the uh, one of the oldest, I think, out of all of them. He is like, like he has like the youngest spirit still. You know, I love him so much. <laughs> so yeah, I want him. <laughs> and then for supporting actress, I'm gonna go with Dern because I do think the split voting can hurt Margot Robbie right now. I'm still on Dern's bandwagon for supporting actress. Okay, all right. Uh, Golden Globes question. This one comes from uh, Luca Gilberti. What are your motion picture comedy musical predictions for the Globes? Initially, I thought this category was glaringly barren, but it actually isn't at all. It could shine a light on some really interesting movies that probably won't make it all the way to the Oscars. I agree. Which is the point of the category. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Share that wealth. So this is a place where movies like Rocket Man, Dolomite Is My Name, Knives Out, 
the farewell. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Well, not the farewell because that's going to be in the uh, foreign category. I Which believe. it isn't, but okay. Globes have a habit of nominating movies that don't uh, get into the best at the time foreign now international uh, category. I've noticed over the years they go from the more mainstream uh, foreign language films. Uh, it seems like many many times. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I mean I, I will admit I, I am kind of struggling a little bit with some of these categories uh, in some way. Like, comedy musical actress is one that I'm like. Would it be Charlize Theron for Long Shot, Emma Thompson for Late Night, one of the Booksmart ladies? Mm-hmm. It's it's tough because almost all of the best actress contenders for the Oscar are on the drama side of things mm-hmm. this year. So yeah. it's really, really hard for me to like kind of piece things together. I will say this. I will say that if they choose, and I don't, I don't agree with it, but if they choose to put Aquafina in musical comedy. Yep. Yeah, I don't agree with it either. Yeah, I don't agree with it, but if they did do it, I think that's a clear it. path yeah. to a win. Probably, yeah. We'll see. We'll see what the what the choice uh, turns out to be there. But I do agree. It it does give a shot for a lot of movies, like something like uh, Danny Boyle's Yesterday. Uh, yes. We could we could see like Himish Patel get a nomination in actor, for example. That would be nice, right? I would love that. Yeah. I also think that this is maybe Rocket Man's like place to shine. Mm. Is that the Globe? Yeah, mm-hmm. Rocket yeah, Man totally. and Dolomite is my name. Yeah, the globe. Yes. The globe. Is, the globe is between Taryn and uh, Eddie, in my opinion. I don't think Leo is getting it. Nope. I know the globes love Leo. I mm-hmm. I know that, but the reason why I've kind of like settled on Taryn Egerton is because the globes like tend to go for like a hot new young star. Yep. I mean, remember when they did Aaron Taylor Johnson for Nocturnal Animals? <laughs> so I could see a world where Taryn Egerton uh, wins that. You know, and I, I mean, and also by extension, like I said, Dolomite is my name. I, I think that's a great place for Eddie Murphy's campaign with SNL and everything else. Like it, you could start seeing some momentum start to build around that time if that plays out, you know? You know what would give me more joy than like anything? If like, and I know it's not going to happen, but if Roman Griffin Davis could get a nomination that, for Jojo Rabbit. That. that would be amazing. I be would be so ecstatic. Great. Child stars are good too. Yeah. yeah. Justice for Child Stars. Literally. Oh, okay. Here we go. This one comes from Scott Kernan. Out of your Best Picture nominations right now, uh, which one do you project will be the film this year, if if there is one, uh, that gets a high amount of nominations, but not a single win? He points to recent examples like American Hustle, True Grit. What do you guys think? Is there a film this year that can get... A ton of nominations, but walk away with not a single win. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I was about to mm-hmm. say that. There is a day where Once Upon a Time in Hollywood wins a shit ton of Oscars, and then there is a day where Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does win no Oscars. You're 100% right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think especially if something like maybe The Irishman or something like 1917 swoops in yeah. and wins all the texts, then I think there's a day where it wins nothing. See, I'm so convinced that Irishman is winning editing. I'm like, I'm like so yeah. convinced that it's happening. You don't make a three and a half hour film that zips by like that uh, and not win an Oscar for editing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. I think with every film that comes out once upon a time in Hollywood's chances of like having any kind of sweep certainly diminish. <laughs> 
we can't discount the industry love and support for that movie though from so many people who have Agreed. outwardly well, expressed their their adoration for it. And I think that that's yeah. Where this- I think that's where it's going to fall down is winning. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. Everybody's still talking about Tarantino being in the hunt for winning director. But like the new, we have director. like Bong Joon Ho and Marty. oh, that reminds me. I made I made the bold move this week. I now I have Bong Joon Ho winning director. Yeah. I have the film winning best picture, along yeah. with best international feature film. I am committing to Parasite right now for the nice. time being. I genuinely think, you know, I've talked to so many people at this point, not a single person I've spoken to does not have that film in their top five of the year. Like, and and, and if they don't, I mean, listen, it's not everyone. It's not an all or nothing scenario. There's always going to be outliers here and there. But majority of the people I speak to, it's not just in their top 10. Like, it's near the top. And I have to believe that this will translate to some degree on that preferential ballot. And at the end of the day, it is just a more accessible film than Roma was. It plays so well with a crowd and with an audience. Mm-hmm. It's a movie that I also, like, even though it's in another language, this is a movie I would be, like, so comfortable, like, showing my family around the holidays because it is such an engaging, involving movie, you know? I also just think it's playing wider so people are more aware of it than Roma, whereas I think Roma really suffered from... The Netflix. fact that it was like Netflix's Netflix. first big push um, in a way that I don't think the Netflix movies are suffering this year because like it's happened before. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I I think that the comparisons of Parasite to Roma are honestly like really lazy and overly simplified. Yeah, yeah, I, I can I can agree with that with you on that. Um, the other thing too, Parasite has made almost ten million dollars at the domestic box office. It's made yep. ninety five million yes. worldwide. Yep. It's a huge movie, and I think it's going to continue to stay in theaters for a while. It's now playing currently, I think, in over something like six hundred theaters right now, um, as of uh, this new weekend. So it keeps expanding. Yeah. More people are getting a chance to see it, and the buzz around it is so large. Uh, this is like the kind of thing that, you know, we don't see that often when a foreign language film really catches on with the mainstream. It's it's yeah. rare. I'm now I'm not saying it's gonna make Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon kind of money, right? I mean, that was no. like that was something else. Yeah. But but um, you know, it could do Pan's Labyrinth uh level, you know, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, very interesting time, uh, to say the least. All right, guys, uh, I think that'll do it for this week here. Uh, Like I said, AFI this week, we're going to be looking out for reactions to those movies. Um, We'll see if they impact the Oscar race in any way. Um, I'm off to the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards uh, this evening, so uh, that should be a lot of fun. Uh, And hopefully that will give me some sort of an answer as to what is going on in the documentary race because it seems so open right now, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So hopefully that uh, pushes us down uh, some sort of a path uh, that we know where to go. So more to come on that. Dan, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at DanceAndDan on film. Nicole? I am at Nicole Ackman 16 Lauren? Find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. 
Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 167 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback as well as your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.